Good morning. I welcome everyone this morning, especially visitors, if you would. Please record your attendance in the attendance pad that's in the pew. A um, couple announcements this morning. Uh, first one from, for the children from Miss Katie. All children, preschool through fifth grade, are invited to our Polar Express party next Sunday, January 12th, as we kick off our new semester of Sunday night programs. We'll meet upstairs in the FLC from 5 to 7. Kids do not have to be involved in or committed to our Sunday night programs to join us for the food and fun and fellowship of watching the Polar Express movie and having cookies and cocoa. Kids can wear their pajamas and bring a favorite pillow and blanket. Um, we also have some poinsettias that are still left. I think there's three or four of them back in the family room if you'd like that. I'll just come and take one. If you're planning on attending the Wednesday night supper, uh, dinner at 6, please uh, sign a reservation in your program or call the church office to make that reservation. The speaker this Wednesday will be Reverend Joe Price, president of the Greer Christian Learning Center, and he will be talking about what they do. A quick announcement about uh, Pastor Curtis and his wife Brenda, obviously. I'm not Pastor Curtis, so he's not well enough to be back yet. He hoped to be back today. That didn't work out. He's probably not going to be back next week, and we're expecting uh, District Superintendent Mary Teasley to lead us next week. With that, let us prepare for worship.
Let us pray together. O Almighty God, by the birth of your holy child Jesus, you gave us a great light to dawn on our darkness. Grant that in his light we may see light, and that we may have the ever-brightening hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Firm our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. this time would the children come forward for the children's moments with Amy Kennard.
Good morning, ladies. I don't know where all the guys are, but we're going to have fun up here. Today is Epiphany Sunday. Do you know what Epiphany means? Okay, an epiphany is an idea. That's exactly right. An epiphany is a sudden realization of some normal, common event. And I'm a teacher, I'm a kindergarten teacher, and I love it when my kids have an epiphany because to me it's like an aha moment. It means they get it. It's like a light bulb poof, over their head. So I'm gonna use this light bulb today in my story. Do y'all know the song, Ru hold it so I can aim it at you, thank you baby. Do y'all know the song Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Okay, do you know the echo parts? Okay, let's sing a little bit of it, you ready? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose and if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. Good. Stop right there. Like a light bulb. Why, why does that work with that song? Why do we say Rudolph's nose is like a light bulb? It glows. It glows and we can see it. And it's red and it's bright and we can see it. We get it, don't we? Help us get it. When the wise men went on their long journey, they followed something in the sky. What did they follow? They followed a star. So I'm going to cut a long line through here. <coughs> they followed that star for a long way because they were on their way to see a miracle, the baby Jesus. And for us, the epiphany means that God came to earth in the form of his son as a human being. And he came to guide us and show us the way. So now I'm gonna cut this part where he came down to earth in the form of Jesus. And there was a star hanging in the sky that those wise men followed. And that star was when God proclaimed, arise and shine, your light has come. So now I've gotta cut some lights into this thing. And this gives us our epiphany. What do you see? Yes, you see a cross and light beaming out from it. Okay. Luke 24, 31 says, and then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Well, I'm gonna give each one of you a light bulb and I hope that this will help you remember that we get it. God made it, made it, made it possible for us to understand and to get it, and that if we live towards his will and do what he wants us to do, we will have a place in heaven. Okay, let us pray. Dear God, thank you for showing us the way and giving us a chance to get it by sending your son to guide us. Help us to keep our eyes open and see the light so we can do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
The first scripture lesson is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. This mystery is that through the gospel of the Gentiles, no, sorry, sorry. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Oh, baby. 
flocks were sleeping, shepherds keeping vigil till the morning noon. Saw the glory, heard the story, tidings of a gospel true. Thus rejoicing, free from sorrow, praises voicing, breathe the Thank you, John and Julie. That was nicely done. Please join me in this morning's prayer. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you've given to this church. We ask that you be with those who are suffering and in need of healing. Comfort them, please. Please watch over this church and continue to bless us and let us be a light to the world. Um, please be over this worship service so that your light will shine through it. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, your Son, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, let us worship with our tithes and offerings.
Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, and also verses 9 through 11. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. The word of God for the people of God. Today is Epiphany Sunday. The word epiphany is from the Greek and means manifestation or revelation. This is the day that we recognize the visit of the wise men to the young Jesus and their revealing to the world that the king has come. Many traditions have arisen regarding these men. Some call them kings. We're all probably familiar with the Christmas song that calls them the three kings of Orient. Some traditions even give them names, Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Let's try to set the record straight. Our scriptures tell us they were from the east and they were wise men, sometimes translated magi. It doesn't tell us how many there were, what their names were, or if they were even kings. The word magi is used to describe ancient students of astrology, but let's not confuse that with our modern day astrology, which focuses on fortune telling. The astrology of that day would be closer to what we understand as astronomy. They studied the movements of the celestial bodies and stars, planets, and meteors. It would also seem that they studied the Jewish scriptures, which we refer to as the Old Testament. Remember that the Jews had been exiled many years earlier, and their beliefs would have been exposed to those around them, such as those in the east in Persia. Also remember that many of the Jews, such as Daniel, who when he wasn't spending time in the lion's den, had found a pretty good life in the exile, and not all Jews had returned to the homeland when they were allowed to. The wise men were possibly familiar with the Old Testament scripture from Numbers 24:17, which speaks of a star coming from Jacob. They were familiar with the messianic expectations of the Jews and probably interpreted certain celestial appearances or movements to be a signal of this long-awaited Messiah who would be king. They knew from the scriptures where he was to be born, which is what would have brought them to the area of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Unlike what most nativity scenes depict, the wise men were most likely not at the manger. When the wise men find Jesus, we are told that he was in the house. We are told that Herod, feeling his authority threatened by this new king, sought to kill him. Based on the information from the wise men about when this king was born, Herod ordered that all male children two and under in Bethlehem be killed. We can then infer that Jesus may have been as old as two by the time these wise men arrived. Those of you that are parents, imagine if someone showed up and bowed down and worshiped your two-year-old. How would you feel? Many parents of two-year-olds have thought their children were just the opposite of God, more devils than God. These items I brought up are just small details that have become blurred by tradition, but tradition has not blurred the effect and purpose of the wise men's visit. In the the nativity story in Luke, we are told of angels announcing the arrival of the newborn king to lowly shepherds who then told the story to other Jewish people of the region. In contrast, the nativity story in Matthew has respected non-Jewish wise men announcing the arrival to Herod the Great, 
who had the title of king of the Jews, but wasn't really a king and wasn't really Jewish. These wise men came not to confirm their understanding of the scriptures and their reading of the skies, but to worship this new king. This was an early sign that this king would be a king, not just to the Jews, but king and Messiah to all people. So how wise were the people of the first century? There seems to be an attitude of arrogance that modern man is much more sophisticated and educated than the ancient people. The ancient people were so uninformed that they were willing to believe just about anything. What is often forgotten is that the great thinkers such as Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle taught their ideas long before the first century. Mathematics such as geometry and trigonometry predate the first century. Ancient man had calculated the movements of the visible stars and planets before the first century. Some of the greatest engineering feats of all history, such as the pyramids in Egypt and the Colosseum in Rome, were done prior to or during the first century. But what about this virgin birth stuff? Surely no intellectually informed person can believe in something like that. We all know that there's a certain sequence of events that must take place before a woman, must be, before a woman could become pregnant. We all know that virgins don't get pregnant. Even many mainstream churches and scholars have dismissed the virgin birth as nothing more than a nice story fabricated to try to make a tie to some possible Old Testament, Testament prophecy. But even the first century people, like Joseph, knew that virgins don't get pregnant. That is why he was prepared to divorce Mary. So why would he change his mind? Why would he decide to stay with a woman who was pregnant with someone else's child which, by the law of the day, was punishable by death. Maybe he knew something that modern man doesn't want to admit, that there is a God and he can cause miracles. In our world today, a person can be branded as irrational or at best delusional for claiming a belief in God or miracles. Ernest Hemingway wrote that all thinking men are atheists. Neil deGrasse Tyson an astrophysicist and host of the PBS show Nova has said, God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. Sigmund Freud said, religion is an illusion and it drives its strength from the fact that it falls in, our, in with our instinctual desires. Gene Roddenberry of Star Trek fame said, for most people, religion is nothing more than a substitute for a malfunctioning brain. If people need religion, ignore them and maybe they, maybe they will ignore you and you can go on with your life. Comedian Bill Maher says, we are a nation that is unenlightened because of religion. I think religion stops people from thinking. I think it justifies crazies. This is just a small sample of assertions you can read or hear every day on TV or on the internet from people in position of authority or influence. Despite these assertions, the fact is that scientific studies on the origins of the universe, origins of life, and origins of information, like DNA, all point to a cause that is beyond our material universe, one that fits the characteristics of what we call God. Scientists know this. When you hear them say otherwise, they aren't making a statement of scientific research, but are making a statement of their own personal philosophy. You can often gauge how desperate someone is to avoid something by how far-fetched their attempts are. Consider these two examples. Richard Dawkins, an evolutionary biologist at the University of Oxford and probably the world's most outspoken atheist, 
when asked about the origins of the first life on Earth, said, it could be that at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved, probably by some kind of Darwinian means, probably to a high level of technology and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this planet. Here he's appealing to an alien life form, which we have absolutely no evidence for, so he can avoid the possibility of God. But all he does is push the question back one step. We're still left the question of where and how this alien civilization would have come about. Lawrence Krauss, theoretical physicist at Arizona State University, when addressing the fact that science points to this universe having come into existence a finite time ago in the past and that it came from nothing, has said this. Surely, nothing is every bit as physical as something, especially if it is to be defined as the absence of something. Let me read that one again so you can absorb that. Nothing is every bit as physical as something, especially if it is to be defined as the absence of something. He's just playing word games, the kind we haven't seen since someone famously asked what the definition of is is. Dr. Krauss is trying to avoid a cause of this universe that cannot be explained by science, a cause of the universe that falls out of the realm of science, a cause of the universe that is consistent with the Bible's claim that God created everything from nothing, an act which is sometimes referred to as creation ex nihilo. Dr. Krauss has even written a book on this. It's titled, A Universe from Nothing, Why There is Something Rather Than Nothing. It was on the New York Times bestseller list. Makes me wonder if he required those that bought it to pay something or nothing, or would there even be a difference? If money is something, and if the absence of something, in this case money, is every bit as physical as money, then no money may be just as valuable as money and therefore be a valid form of payment for Dr. Krauss's book. Statements like these from Dr. Krauss and Dr. Dawkins make me think the Apostle Paul had seen into the future when he wrote these words to the church in Rome. What can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being under understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. When people dismiss God from explanations of this world, the fear is not that they will believe nothing, but they will instead be willing to believe anything. Some friends and I have been meeting monthly with a group of atheists and agnostics. We pick a topic for discussion and spend about three hours having a friendly exchange of ideas over dinner. In our first meeting, we all gave a little background on where we came from and how we arrived at our current worldview. It might surprise some to learn that most of them have a Christian background. Most grew up going to church. Some graduated from a prominent Christian university. One was the leader of the Campus Crusade for Christ at his university. Unfortunately, their stories are not exceptions, but are becoming the norm. Studies have shown that 70% of youth that grow up going to church leave the church after leaving home. There are various reasons given, but two of the most common are that they find church irrelevant 
and that someone has told him that science has proven that there is no God. If our youth haven't been shown reasons to believe God exists and are confronted with an educated professor that tells them there is no God, odds are they're going to believe that educated professor. One of the atheists that we've been meeting with told us that he had been at a point in his life where he had questions, questions about God, about the Bible, and about science. He wasn't getting any answers from his church, but got answers from his atheist professors and classmates. This was a case where a wise man was seeking, about, seeking God, but the church was not prepared to show God to him. This was a failure of the church. The claim that God said it, I believe it, that settles it, isn't going to be a very convincing argument to someone that doubts or denies the truth of the Bible or even the very existence of God. 1 Peter 3.15 says that the Christian should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for, to give the reason for the hope that you have. Are you prepared to give that answer? If you are a student, are you prepared to give that answer to a teacher or professor that might mock you for your beliefs? If you're an adult, are you prepared to give that answer to a coworker, a neighbor, your children, or any of the youth of our church? If you are prepared, great. Don't hesitate to help those that are searching for answers. If you're not prepared or are looking for answers, you're in luck. And this is where I'm giving a shameless plug to a class we're going to offer right here at our church. Next Sunday at 5.30 in the social hall, we will begin a class that will examine science and God and will include a little bit of philosophy. I will be leading the class, but the teaching will be done via DVD by Dr. Stephen Meyer. If you saw the Ben Stein documentary, Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed, you might recognize Dr. Meyer from there. Or maybe you've heard of his book, Signature in the Cell, DNA and the Evidence for Intelligent Design. If you need answers, I strongly encourage you to attend. It will be well worth your time. The lessons tackle some of the deepest questions of life. We will discuss the origins of the universe, the foundations of objective morality, and the origin, origins of information as is found in DNA. But no one needs to fear that it will be over their head. Dr. Meyer has the great ability to explain in a way that it can be understood by any thinking person without dumbing it down. These lessons could go a long ways towards ensuring that our church is relevant and will show how science does not disprove God, but instead reveals him. 2,000 years ago, wise men sought him. One of the Old Testament scriptures that they were probably familiar with was Isaiah 42, 5 through 6. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all it springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. The wise men followed the light to find the light of the world that would be brought to them by the creator of all that exists. We are reminded of their actions on this Epiphany Sunday not so that we can have a nice story or a nice song, but so that we can follow their lead. We are to be the wise men of this day, showing the light of the world to all and showing how Christ is the hope for us all. His death on the cross and subsequent resurrection provides the hope that we have, the only hope for all mankind. Let us prepare ourselves and prepare our church to share this light with the world. Amen.
Zion, Savior of this world.